Wednesday evening. Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. In other words, it's saying I want to do right. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. I want to do right, but I'm having a hard time doing the right that I want to do. Anybody relate to that right there? Verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. The things that I want to do that are good, I end up not doing it. And the things that I absolutely don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. That's frustrating, isn't it? Wouldn't that be the, the kind of the definition of frustration? I'm, I'm doing the exact same things that I don't want to do. Verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. There's a part inside that wants to do right. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, in my flesh. There is this law of sin that I find myself enslaved to. 24, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Apostle Paul says here that because I want to do good and I end up over and over and over again doing the thing that I don't want to do, it affects how I see myself. In essence, he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Romans chapter 8. Notice that chapter 7 moves right into chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation. Everybody say no shame. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. Everybody shout free. Free from the law of sin and death. And I want to speak for the next few moments on it's not who I am. We're going to talk about getting free from shame. It's not who I am. Lord Jesus, we're grateful today for your mercy and your blessings and your kindness. And we pray, Jesus, that you would anoint your vessel today. And let the anointing, Lord Jesus, that flows bring deliverance, bring liberty, and bring hope. We thank you for every person that's here today, and we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that in the next few moments, revelation and understanding and deliverance uh, would be delivered in this place. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. And if you agree with that, shout out, Amen! Praise God. Put your hands together for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may be seated. How many of you have a smartphone? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever taken a selfie? 
Come on now. Because I know even if you never posted it on Twitter or Facebook that you have taken a selfie. What is a selfie? It's when you turn the camera on yourself, you stretch out your hand, and you get your best angle, right? You don't get your worst angle, you get your best angle. And you look and you get the smoky eye look. And you suck your cheeks in. And you push your lips out. You take the picture. And then you turn around and post it online, right? Put it on your uh, Facebook profile or your Instagram. And when you look through your Instagram, there's like 30 selfies of yourself because you're interested in yourself. You know, the, the, the reason that people do this is they're concerned about their image. We don't want to put our worst look out there. We want to put our best look out there because we want to control our image. That is how we are viewed by other people. We have a lot of interest in how people see us, don't we? In what people think about us. And so we seek to control our image and the way people perceive us and the way that people think about us. I want to share with you today that your image is really not all that important to your destiny. But your self-image is very important to your destiny. What I'm saying is, what other people think about you should not be a determining factor in your destiny. But how you feel about yourself will be a determining factor in your destiny. And here's an interesting conundrum that I'm discovering. Is that an extreme preoccupation with image actually works against a healthy self-image. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying here is in the interest of protecting our image, we hide things. And we don't let anybody know about certain things in us. And because we hide those things, it gives the enemy of our soul opportunity to operate in those areas. If you know anything about photography, you know that negatives are developed in the dark room. And in darkness is where the negatives in our life develop. And what happens as a result of that is we begin to feel a certain way about ourselves because of what we know about ourselves. And our image, our self-image is affected. And it begins to affect our destiny. And what God desires to do in our life is inhibited by our self-image. See, because God thinks highly of you. I want you to nod your head because it's true. How do you know? Jesus died for you. That means he said, you are worth more than I am. Jesus values you. And somewhere along the way, you've got to get your self-image in line with God's image of you. When God showed up and spoke to Gideon, he said, the angel said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon's response was, 
You can't be talking about me. I'm the least in my father's house, and my father is insignificant in Manasseh. You must be talking about someone else. But God's role then, or the angel's role then, was to try to get Gideon's assessment of himself to line up with God's assessment of him. Because in order for Gideon's destiny to happen, his self-image had to line up with God's image of him. We're talking today about freedom from shame. Because shame has a whole lot to do with how you feel about yourself. How you feel about yourself based on things that have happened in your life and based on habits that you have and based on issues that you deal with and that you struggle with. Satan desires to influence your self-image. And what he uses is this thing called shame. In the Bible, very beginning of the Bible, we see two naked people in a garden. The Bible says Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. That doesn't mean they just had no clothes on, but it means they were open and transparent without shame. They were innerly open and on the inner side transparent and there was no shame. When you read in Genesis 3, the serpent showed up. It was Satan. He beguiled Eve and she ate of the tree and gave to her husband. And then they saw that they were naked and they, what did they do? They hid themselves. Disobedience, sin, and shame causes us to go into hiding. Problem is, Satan does his best work in the dark. I want you to get this point right now. The parts of our life that we have hidden from everyone else is the foothold that the enemy can continue to have in our life. And when we mess up and make a mistake, it is the natural human desire to bring it into hiding. And when we bring it into hiding and put it in the dark, Satan is able to work. God called for Adam and said, where are you? Adam said, we saw that we were naked and we hid ourselves. And the Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Indicating, see, if they were naked and unashamed, what they were saying when they saw that they were naked was that they were filled with shame. And they covered And they couldn't be transparent and open anymore. They had areas of their life that they needed to cover up. But God said, who told you that you were naked? Who introduced shame into your life? Making it clear to me that the enemy's role is first of all to tempt you. That's what the serpent did, right? Oh, it's good fruit. God's just holding something good from you. It's not going to hurt you. God won't care. It'll be all right. Why is he withholding it from you in the first place? Beguiled, tempted. She ate. And then immediately, what did the serpent do? He turned in to, he, he, he took a new role. He became the accuser of the brethren. 
That's what Satan does. Do you know that in your life? When you mess up, it's because he has tempted you. And as soon as you fall prey to temptation, rather than congratulating you, hey, you did what you were supposed to, you did what felt right. Then he turns around and says, look what you did. I can't believe you did that. You don't even need to go to church. You have no right to worship God. Amen. Why would you even try to live for God? God doesn't like you anymore. You messed up. Amen. Now, I know that's simple because we got the cheering in here today. But I want to tell you that it is exactly what the enemy does. Is he tries to accuse us so long until we will take that job from him and begin to accuse ourselves. And when we start to accuse ourselves and when we start to agree with the enemy in his assessment of us, what happens? This is called condemnation. This is called shame. It's a subtle transition because when we mess up, we feel guilty, right? Oops, I shouldn't have done it. Or as Brittany said, oops, I did it again. Whoops. I shouldn't have done that. I messed up. But then the enemy, his job is to turn what you did into an identity. And rather than it being something you did, he wants to turn it into who you are. How does he do that? By causing you to accuse yourself and feel like you are no longer worthy of God's mercy. You are no longer worthy of God's consideration. You are no longer worthy of God's love. And it's subtle. You don't even consciously think about it. But you begin to feel about yourself in a way that is, sorry about that, that is less than positive. And is different than the way in which God sees you. And shame becomes an issue in a believer's life. Amen. I'm talking to new people today that need to be delivered from sin. But I'm also talking about people who are already saved. But need to experience a great deliverance in your life. Can I get an amen from somebody that believes that God still delivers even after... Even after you're saved, 40 days of freedom, beginning with freedom from shame. What is shame? Shame is defined as a painful emotion caused by a strong sense of guilt, embarrassment, unworthiness, or disgrace. It is generally defined as the painful feeling of the loss of self-respect. I've lost the ability to respect myself. And when you lose that because of maybe something that happened to you or more likely something that you did, it's called shame. It emphasizes the humiliation felt at the loss of esteem. It includes pain caused by losing the respect of others. And the idea of feeling humiliated or embarrassed because of a sense of inadequacy or inferiority. Notice all of these are identity issues. It's how you feel about yourself. God has a destiny for you. And God has a purpose for your life. But in order for that destiny and purpose to be unlocked in your life, you need to be set free from shame. You need to be delivered from this 
sense of inferiority and unworthiness because of what's happened to you or because of what you've done. And we want to start these 40 days by saying, God, I want to be liberated from shame, from this loss of respect for myself. Shame is never harmless. It's never inconsequential. And it's not easily ignored. It will not go away of its own accord when guilt turns into an identity. Let me tell you this. Shame in a Christian's life leads to spiritual inconsistency. Why? It leads to frustration. It leads to struggle. Because we are constantly keeping the things where we need help in the dark. And it gives the enemy an opportunity to establish a foothold. And even though he knows that he can't cause us to walk away from God, he says second best thing is to limit their effectiveness. Keep them mired in mediocrity. Keep a good distance between where they are and what God has for them and wants to do through them by keeping them focused on their failures and their weaknesses and their shortcomings. This is the purpose of shame, to keep you from being what God designed for you to believe to be. Anybody believe that God has something great for your life that he wants you to do? God wants you to be liberated and free from shame because your destiny and what God wants to do in your life requires you to be set free. Let me just share with you what God's purpose is. What is his modus operandi, operandi, however you say it. Somebody help me. I don't know. It is this word called redemption. Everybody say redemption. Redemption means take something that's broken down, lost value, no longer effective for its original purpose, and to turn around and restore it to greatness. God's purpose is to take us in our brokenness, in our hurt, in our failures and our mistake, and to take us through a process that leads us to our true purpose in life. Did you know that's what the Bible is all about? Adam fell into sin. He made a mistake and sin brought slavery. And the Bible teaches that we become slaves to sin. Romans 6.16, 6, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You become a slave of what you're obeying. And the enemy's goal is to have you enslaved to sin. Now I want to share with you a picture of redemption in Scripture. And it has to do with the Jewish people, the Hebrews. They were in slavery. They experienced the cruel side of slavery for 400 years. So if you were alive during the days of Moses, your dad was a slave, your grandpa was a slave, your great-grandpa was a slave. And you worked every day by the sweat of your brow to make bricks. You were treated like a common animal. You were beaten with a whip. You were forced to do labor. You had no control over your destiny. Your life was controlled by the taskmaster of Egypt. Think about that. And think about this as well. 
Since your dad, your grandpa, and your great-grandpa, and your great-great-grandpa all were slaves, it is all that you knew. And so it became a mindset of hopelessness. This is who I am, and this is what I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. The Hebrews in slavery. Mm, Right. But the Bible says that God delivered them out of slavery. He heard their cry and he set them free and brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Amen. And those who had been slaves for years and their dad and grandpa and grandma had been slaves uh, were brought out of bondage uh, and out of slavery. Praise God. Because God said, I've got something great to do in your life. I've got a plan for you, Hebrew people. There's promise and destiny on your life. And even though the taskmaster has destroyed and broken down many things in your life, I've still got a purpose. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to set you free. But not just so you can be free, but because I have a purpose and a destiny for you. You want to see redemption? Think about this. They were slaves. They knew nothing but making bricks. They had no control over the destiny of their life. But fast forward to 2014, and the Jewish people, those same people that were nothing but slaves, are some of the greatest minds in history. Did you know that 20% of all of the Nobel Prizes that have been offered, 20% of them were to Jewish people? Even though Jews only represent... Two-tenths of one percent, less than one percent of the population, 20 percent of of the Nobel Peace Prizes. What does that mean? That means uh, that these individuals are blessed and favored of God. They stepped into their destiny. We all know about the religious contributions of the Hebrew people, the beginning of Judaism, Islam even, and Christianity is influenced uh, through God's chosen people, but they also have had impact in the world because God... God said, I can take what's broken down. I can take what slavery has destroyed. Can I make it plain? I can take what your addiction has broken down. I can take what sin has battered in your life. I can take what the enemy destroyed from its original purpose. And I can turn around and I can bring you out. I can deliver you, praise God. And I have a purpose for your life as well. I will redeem you back to your original purpose. Somebody praise the Lord right now because that's the plan of God. So the story of the Hebrews in the Bible is a story to teach you. Point a finger at your chest. It's for me. It's for me. It's to teach me and to teach you a lesson about deliverance and redemption. But there's one thing I want you to notice when you study this this portion of Scripture. And this, I I hope, will open your understanding because some of you get frustrated in your development And you get discouraged and you quit because you think, I was baptized. That means my old man was buried with Jesus. Why am I still dealing with this anger? Right? I thought I was buried. What? I thought I came out of Egypt. Why am I still struggling with this temptation? Why am I still fighting with lust in my life? Come on, somebody. What? Why am I still dealing with this thing that's a part of the old nature? What is it, crawling up out of that watery grave? I thought Pharaoh drowned in the Red Sea. Amen. 
Because the Red Sea represents the death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? The blood of the lamb that was slain brought them out. They came through the water. It separated them from Pharaoh. They came into the cloud. They began to be led by God. But notice this. They didn't come directly out of Egypt and into their destiny. Because even though they were no longer slaves, they still had the mind of a slave. You're like, well, grandpa was a slave. Great-grandpa was a slave. This is all I've known all my life. And so God's original intent for them, based on his promises, was, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you favor. Those that bless you are going to be blessed. Those that curse you are going to be cursed. In the meantime, they're a slave, right? But when God brings them out, when God saves them from bondage, the next step is called Deliverance. So deliverance for them happened after they were saved. And some of you need to realize that uh, just because God set you free and just because you've been born again and just because you are baptized in the saving name of Jesus and just because you have the blood applied to your life doesn't mean that your mind was changed right that moment. But you've got to go through a process of deliverance. For the children of Israel, it was 40 years. To get that thinking out of their mind that caused them to fall back into the habit of being a slave. And there are still mentalities that linger and abide within our minds and in our spirits that keep us in bondage to failures and faults and stumbles and weaknesses. But God said what happened at the altar 20 years ago isn't the end of the story. But I'm going to deliver those that I saved. Come on, someone. So don't get down on yourself because you messed up. I know of one man in particular, and, and you know, preachers don't tell this very often. We tell the stories about the person that came in that was smoking six packs of cigarettes a day, and God delivers them, and they walk out, and they never touch a cigarette again. It disgusts them. God does that kind of thing, right? Can I get an amen? Amen, amen. But one man that was an overseer in my life that was a pastor and a district superintendent told me, That when he received the Holy Ghost and was baptized, he struggled with smoking cigarettes for months and months and months. Six months later, still struggling with the habit, talking to his pastor. I need help. I I can't seem to break this. Amen? You know why? Because he had been a slave to that for so long. Even though he had experienced deliverance, uh, there was something in his mindset uh, that kept him uh, at uh, 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 that, that he would continue to fall into that mindset. But God said, I'm not finished. Amen. You were saved overnight. Uh, it was a moment, it was in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye that I saved you. But it may take a little time for you to be delivered. But don't give up on God. Don't quit. Uh, don't get down on yourself. Come on, somebody. God is going to finish uh, what he started. Yeah. Wilt thou be made whole? Whole is complete. Whole is nothing lacking. Whole is no bad spots anymore. Wilt thou be made whole? Are you okay that you've been saved? Are you okay that you've been filled with the Spirit and water baptized? Or is there something inside of you that says, I want to be made whole? 
Salvation affected your past. Salvation will get you to heaven. But deliverance is what will set you up for your destiny here on earth to be what God called you to be and do what God wants you to be. There are things that the enemy wants to keep planted in your spirit, conduct that he wants to keep locked into you that are going to keep you at odds with your destiny and mired in mediocrity. But I'm here to tell you today that God wants to set you free to bring about fullness of deliverance in your life. Somebody help me right now. Exodus 6, 6. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt, and I will rid you out of their bondage. That's like a redundancy, right? I'm going to bring you out from under their burdens. And I will rid you of their bondage. Jewish people believe that these are two different promises. That the first one says, I'm bringing you out of Egypt. But the second one is, I'm going to release you from the mentality of slavery, from the mindset of bondage, because your destiny, amen, requires more than a conversion. Your destiny requires deliverance. He wants to build you back up again. He wants to put back together what the years messed up in you. He wants to change your mind and change your conduct through the power of deliverance. Praise God. Yeah. Deliverance is more than just being set free from alcohol. Deliverance is more than just putting down the crack pipe. Come on, somebody. Deliverance is more than walking away from the various vices of sin, getting over a gambling habit, or quit practicing illicit sex. There's more to it. Anything that is on the throne of your life and keeps God's destiny from unfolding in your life, God said, I'm going to deliver you from it. Come on, praise Him. Hallelujah. 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 That's why God took the children of Israel. After he took them out of bondage, he took them to Sinai and gave them the law. You got to get this. Don't miss this. The reason God gave the children of Israel the law was that he had to teach them how to live as free people. They didn't know how to live as free people. They only knew how to conduct themselves as slaves. He was retraining their thinking so that they would know how to live as free people. People who have been slaves don't know how to function as they were originally intended. Because the slavery mentality has influenced the way that they think. Brother Ulysses, we looked at this word. We studied this word. Recidivism, right? Recidivism. What does it mean? It means the percentage of people who've been incarcerated that end up back in prison again. Did you know in the United States, incarcerated people that are released from prison, nearly one half of them will return to prison within three years of gaining their freedom. Because they learn to adapt to the painful and difficult surroundings in prison. And it was hard for them to know how to function without the familiarity of their prior captivity. Let me make it plain to you. When you get used to something and you've been doing it a long time, it's hard to get used to not being bound by it any longer. And so you've been set free. You've been delivered. 
You've been released. But what happens is you have a tendency to fall back into the pattern of the same things that you've been set free from. And God has to deliver, had to deliver them from being slaves after they had already been set free. And God has to deliver us from being enslaved to sin even after he has already set us free. Come on, somebody. You've got to get this right now. Because even though we're not slaves, we're still acting and thinking like slaves. And God says it's time, praise God, for you to be delivered. I brought you out. Now I'm going to bring Egypt out of you. Praise God. I brought you out of slavery. Now i got to get slavery out of you. That's what deliverance is. It's about changing the way you think. It's about changing your life through the power of the Spirit. Some of us were committed to following Jesus, yet we still act like slaves to old habits and sinful behavior. I've come today to give you hope. I've come today to tell you that's what this 40 days is about. It's not just for lost people. It's not just for the broken down person who's an addict to alcohol living under a bridge. But it's for the people of God who God says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to empower you. And the enemy says, I still got this little spot in your life. I still have you enslaved here. But he said, he that the Son has set free shall be free indeed. Somebody shout, freedom! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I'm talking to inconsistent people who are on their way to heaven. People that are trying to live for God but still plagued by selfish habits secret addictions and sinful attitudes. It's time for you to be set free. We need deliverance. Deliverance is not just for people with demons, but it's for anyone struggling with their sinful nature. It's for those who whose past keep limiting their future. Come on, somebody. If your past is holding you back from your destiny, you need deliverance. If you're still struggling with sinful habits, you need deliverance. And deliverance is in the house today. Somebody shout, Amen. Deliverance. Deliverance is in the house today. Deliverance is different than salvation. Salvation takes care of eternity, but deliverance determines the quality of our life while we're still here on earth. I need three helpers. Uh... Who will help me? I need three. Can you help me? You help me? Can you help me? Well, our guest here with us today, we, we pulled him into service. Brother Ross, I want you to help me as well. Praise God. I, I just want to give you a visual of uh, what happens. Who wants to play God? Brother Ross. Why don't we make Brother Ross? Yes, come on. Switch places here. Switch places. Thank you. So Brother Ross is representing God. God created man in his image. Human beings are what's called tripartite. They are body, soul, spirit, right? So who wants to be the body? Put your muscle. Let me see. That's the body. Okay, you go to that end. Who wants to be the soul, the mind, will, and emotions? Will you be that? Can you function as our spirit? Just come right here. So. This is God's plan. When he created man, God's plan is the way a newborn believer or a born-again believer lives is they are led by the Spirit of God, right? So wherever Brother Ross goes, I want you to walk a little bit. 
The spirit, the soul, and the body will follow. Led by the spirit of God. Come back around this way. Led by the spirit of God. Body, soul, spirit. All right? Remember, this is God. Why don't you guys stretch out and join hands so that you can see the connection here. That's good right there. You don't have to stretch all the way out. Yeah, you're good. Everybody still with me? You watching? So what is your body? Your body is your flesh. It is your, the container of the real you. Did you know you, you see this body right here? That's not me. It's just my container, right? We get so wrapped up in our bodies, don't we, in, in our appearance and our exterior and our uh, physical fitness, but it's just the container, right? So what is the contents? The contents is the soul and the spirit. A lot of people are like, well, what's the difference between the soul and the spirit? Those of you that came through uh, Search for Truth with me, you saw this recently. The soul is the real you. This is the real you right here. It is your mind, your will, and your emotions, better known as your brain. The real person, what makes you happy, what makes you mad, what you're excited about, that's the real you, not your physical case. The real you is your mind, will, and emotions. And the real you is eternal. So what is the spirit? Kind of hard to really wrap wrap around a definition but our spirit is essentially the part of us that reaches out from our mind will and emotion and is able to connect with god you guys got that it is the part of us that can connect with the supernatural so god's plan is that our spirit hears from god our spirit influences our mind, will, and emotions, and our mind, will, and emotions take control of our physical body so that we follow God. What happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve messed up is the Bible says, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. What took place? It was spiritual death. Boom. So when that happened, man was no longer connected to God. And when God began to move and God began to direct, man had no connection with God. And the way I visualize it is the spirit man basically became invalid, just kind of wilted. So kind of wilt down onto your knees. You can stay connected to the soul, but you're just valueless. <laughs> Not you, okay? I'm certain you're full of value. Amen. Shriveled, withered, powerless, no influence. So who takes over now? The mind, will, and emotion. And man does what's right in his own eyes. But what he finds is this flesh with its innate drives and desires, appetites, begin to pull the mind, will, and emotions around. And, and, and we're like, eh, I need to do some different things. And then the flesh begins to pull us. And, and we're influenced by sin and disobedience and disconnection from God. That's why when somebody comes to church that's not born again and they begin to feel the presence of God, what's happening? Something is blowing on this withered and wilted spirit to begin to bring life back to it. And all of a sudden, come here, all of a sudden there is a connection that is restored when the spirit man, when a person is born of the spirit. That's why you can't fix things by trying to change your mind and trying to change your habits and trying to quit doing what you've been doing, you're going to end up falling short. 
But if the spirit man connects back to God, then the spirit man can begin to lead and influence the soul and begin to lead the body. So let's do it again. Praise God. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Hallelujah. Blessed are them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh. Try to take them somewhere, flesh. Walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Blessed. There's no condemnation, no shame. When you say, I'm a slave to righteous living, I'm not a slave to the flesh anymore. Praise God. Thank you, guys. Let's praise God for what the Spirit did. That's why a self-help group ain't going to help you. That's why reading a book ain't going to make the difference. I can stand in front of you and talk till I'm blue in the face. And I'm not going to help you much. But the Holy Ghost. Regenerating. That's the purpose of the Holy Ghost. To regenerate. Take something that was dead. Bring it back to life. Take something that was broken. Put it back together. Take something that was useless. Bring use back into it. Come on. Take something. Praise God. Take something that was addicted and on the wrong path. And walking away from family. Not able to hold down a job. And put it back together. He came to regenerate. He came to deliver. Oh, somebody praise Him right now for what He's done. Think about this. When you're used to letting the flesh lead, when you get reconnected, you've got to retrain that. Because you've been spending your whole life letting the flesh lead. And even though you've been set free, even though you've been born again, you have to be delivered from a mentality that keeps you enslaved to sin. You have to learn to walk after the Spirit so that you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There is regeneration. So you think, I've been in church two years and I messed up and let a curse word slip. God must be finished with me. I've been trying to work for God. I've been trying to grow in God. And I messed up and I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at. God, are you finished with me? I messed up and got mad and threw a fit and bit somebody's head off. God must be finished with me. No, God is restoring. God is renewing. And if you'll let Him, praise God, He's going to make you every whit whole. He's going to restore His purpose for your life. Somebody praise Him right now. But as long as our bodily appetites and our fleshly desires continue to drive our thinking and our behavior, our souls become clouded by past experiences and injuries and hurt and mistakes. God wants to redeem and deliver us for his purpose. Renewing and the empowering of our spirit and recalibrate our spirit for God's original purpose. But this requires... The body and soul to go through a cleansing process and to submit to the work of the Holy Ghost in us. You know what? The Holy Ghost, when you got the Holy Ghost, was just started. It wasn't finished. It was just started. Come on, do I got an amen from some mamas and papas that have been through a few battles and struggles and personal failures and realize that God is still working? Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. Don't give up. 
Don't think there was something wrong with your experience because brother so-and-so never said a curse word after God delivered him. And sister so-and-so just became Miss Perfect after she received the Holy Ghost. First thing, that's a bunch of baloney. Because there was a process of retraining after deliverance, after salvation. God says, I'm going to deliver you. And that deliverance is more than just putting down the bottle. It is reshaping you so that you can be a vessel of honor for use in the kingdom of God. And I know sin is discouraging. Sin is discouraging. I want to do good, but I keep messing up and doing evil. It's frustrating. We know we shouldn't have done it. We want help. But we feel like we can't let anybody know because everybody thinks we got it going on. Well, guess what? We all know you ain't got it going on. Because ain't none of the rest of us got it going on. We're being delivered. I'm being delivered as we speak. He's still working on me. The Holy Ghost is still finishing its process in me. I want to be delivered. I want to be delivered from the shame of my failures and my mistakes. Addictions, not just drinking and gambling and illicit sex. An addiction is anything we do that we don't want to do, but we can't stop doing it. Any ingrained pattern that pulls us to false idols to escape our pain. Sometimes we're judgmental about another person's addiction. We look down on them. That's so terrible. And then we make exceptions for our own, right? Right. Look at that crack junkie, but you spend five hours a day on Facebook. So glad I don't smoke, but you overeat every meal. No, I don't gamble, but you're glued to the TV for three hours every night. Come on, somebody. I'm not having illicit sex, but you've got a spending addiction and you're in terrible debt. What are the things in your life that have control over you? Sometimes we look lightly on the things that control us. We, we use these little words. Oh, that's just who I am. I'm a workaholic. That's why I work 12 hours a day and ignore my family. I'm a sports freak. That's why I'll miss church and the things of God to do sports things. I'm a shopaholic. That's why I spend more money than I have. I'm a fashionista. That's why I'm so concerned, overly concerned about my appearance. And we'll joke about our own addictions because Satan wants us to internalize these behaviors and attitudes so that it becomes a part of our identity and we can never shake loose from it. And it becomes, this is just who I am. This is not who I am. I'm a child of God. There is nothing else that is directing my life other than the Spirit of God. I'm not going to let fear. I'm not going to let anxiety. I'm not going to let lust. I'm not going to let a quest for approval direct my life. I'm a child of God. I'm born of the Spirit of God. Come on, somebody praise Him right now. Do you believe that God wants to make you whole? We try to quit. We try to quit and we fail. We feel hopeless living without our addictive crutch. When you reach that point where you will protect your addiction at any cost, 
you begin to lose your life to the pull of your addiction. It's a cycle. Self-defeating because you feel guilty or ashamed about your secret. And those same feelings of guilt and shame, those same emotions are what trigger the need again for the comfort of your favorite means of escape. And the cycle continues. Oops, I did it again. And I feel bad. And the shame requires another dose of something that will medicate and take care of the pain. Satan's goal is to rob you of the joyful and fulfilled life that God has promised you. And to keep you from becoming effective. He came to kill, steal, and to destroy And these addictions keep us on a treadmill of frustration and mediocrity, never growing into our God-given potential, still a slave. This is not God's plan for you. I want to be led by the Spirit of God. Some people, it's addictions and habits. Others, it's wounds. These are negative things that happen to us. Maybe childhood abuse. Maybe we've been criticized or experienced judgmentalism. Maybe we've been betrayed. By someone close, we've experienced rejection or abandonment. And these emotions leave us feeling beaten and bruised. And when we try to forgive, we find it's easier to hang on to the anger and the bitterness because of what happened to us. But remember, Satan is looking for a foothold. And relational injuries open the door to Satan. Unforgiven relational injuries open the door to Satan. That's why in Ephesians chapter 4 and 26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. When my anger lasts longer than 24 hours, I'm giving place to the devil. You need to put it to bed when you go to bed so that you don't give place to the devil. Those negative emotions will keep an opportunity for the enemy to keep you in bondage. But I want us to be free. Come on, somebody. I want us to be free. When people confront the past, the sins and the wounds, they experience amazing joy and freedom and spiritual growth. In closing, I want to tell you that in order to move from salvation to deliverance, one of the best tools for this is confession. Confession. First John 1 and 9, what does it say? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it doesn't matter if it was just last night. It doesn't matter if it was three or four days ago. It doesn't matter if it was two weeks ago. If you'll confess your sins to Him. Hallelujah. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Is there anybody that can say a big thank you, Jesus? When you mess up, go straight to the throne. When you mess up, go straight to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I sinned. My body is acting like a slave to sin, even though I'm supposed to be a servant of righteousness. Please forgive me. I messed up.
And when you, with your mouth, confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. You know, that's every bit as much a part of the Bible as Acts 2.38. It's a good part of the Bible. Amen. It's one of your, it ought to be our favorite part of the Bible. One of our favorites. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Is there anybody that's forgiven here today that you can rejoice because you've been set free? Because you've been forgiven? Because you've been washed? Somebody praise Him right now. Hallelujah! James chapter 5 verse 16. Confession. It's a little bit of a different bit of a different angle here. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Oh God, have mercy. That ye may be healed of what? Of your faults. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Listen to me right now. When we confess our faults to another individual and they pray for us, the Bible says that we can be healed and great things can transpire in our life. The problem is we're so concerned about our image that we're unwilling to open up those dark areas of our life to another believer. Because we're certain that they will judge us. And we're certain that they'll use it against us. And we are certain that it will affect the way that they view us. And so instead of experiencing true freedom, we just hide it. And continue to give a place for the enemy to work. He said, oh, but I confessed it to God. Great, you're forgiven, but you're not healed. Confessed it to the Lord. Great, you're forgiven, but you're not healed. The only way you can be healed, true deliverance, listen to this statement right now. True deliverance requires a work of the Spirit, but it also requires that one, at least one other believer who loves God and loves you so that you can bring it out into the light. This is something that we don't hear much about. And we end up in that cycle of mediocrity. It's like we're on a treadmill trying to go somewhere and we ain't going anywhere. All we're doing is trying to keep standing, right? So, I mean, that, that, that uh, epitomizes your spiritual life. I'm not really going anywhere, but I'm still standing up. Treadmill mediocrity. Mired. The Bible says, in fellowship. That's why I need this guy right here to make it to where God wants me to go. Oh, but I'm a soul. I'll figure this out on my own. Me and God got this special connection. But when you bring it out to the light and you insert accountability into your issue and your struggle, is there anybody that really wants to get rid of the shame or are you okay just carrying this the rest of your life? Is there anything in you that says, I believe I can be absolutely liberated from the bondage of sin? Because when the light begins to flood in and when there's somebody who can pray with you, I'm going to start an exercise program, the best thing I can do is get somebody to join me in it.
If I'm going to start trying to pray every day, the best thing I can do is bring accountability. Because when my flesh says no, I know that at the end of the day, I'm going to get a phone call from somebody. And then my flesh realizes you're not getting away with this. Uh, Somebody's going to be checking in on you. Amen. And when you bring accountability into the issue that you're struggling with, uh, of somebody that you can trust, uh, of somebody that loves God, uh, and somebody that loves you, and somebody, praise God, not that they're perfect, uh, but they're going to pray with you. They're going to pray for you. And when they pray with you and pray for you, you're going to be healed. I'm talking about a key to victory right now. I'm talking about the key to deliverance right now. The work of the Spirit joined together with human accountability in order to experience true deliverance. You've got to have one other follower of Jesus involved. Somebody that loves you and loves God. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, the law, the Spirit of life in Christ. It made them free from the law of sin and death. Let's stand together right now. to be everything God has for you to be? Is there anybody who's, who's saying in your spirit right now, you don't have to show me with a show of hands, but just listen, is there anything in you right now that's saying, I don't want condemnation and shame to keep me from being what God has for me to be. I want to be everything that God wants me to be. And these habits addictions, secret sins, attitudes. I'm praying, God, that you would help me. The reason during the 40 days of fellowship, uh, 40 days of freedom, that we're doing freedom in fellowship is not just because we want you to get together and rub shoulders with other people. That's always healthy. But the reason is some people get isolated and they can't experience deliverance on their own. Did I make that point today? experience true deliverance on your own. You need friends. You need brothers. You need sisters to communicate and converse, to bring things into the light. Now, I'm not saying you go to your life group meeting today and tell everybody all your deepest, darkest secrets. But I am saying that through fellowship and relationship, God's going to open the door. Maybe it's your group leader. Maybe it's somebody in the group. You say, I need you to help me pray with something in my personal life. And I want you to check in on me every couple weeks. And you know they're going to call you. They're going to look you in the eye and say, how are you doing? Because they want to judge you because you asked them. You shared your fault with them. You confessed it. You said, I want help. I want you to pray for me. I want to be delivered. revival that God has for Life Church is linked to you and I being released from condemnation and shame. It's not okay for us to hold on to our sin. It's not okay for us to continue with our condemnation. It's not okay for us to continue in it. God says, I want you to be delivered. The book of Joel says specifically, 
that my people, God says, my people will never be ashamed. 26, you shall come into the land and eat plenty and be satisfied. Praise the name of the Lord your God that have dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. What does verse 28 say? And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Afterwards, after you're released from your shame, revival is coming. I want to be joined by everybody here that wants God's purpose to be completely fulfilled in your life. Come up to the front right now. Come join me right now. Hallelujah. Come join me for a couple moments right now. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we need you. Hallelujah. The chain breakers in the house. The deliverers in the house. God can set you free today and give you a hope of eternal life. Through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of the Lamb shed on an old rugged cross that brought us hope today. And we're thankful for what God is doing in your life and what God's going to continue to do in your life. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to anybody here today that is really weary negative feelings about yourself because of your shortcomings and your inconsistency. And you want that removed. You don't want there to be any shame in your life. I believe that God is going to set you free. That you're going to be delivered so that God can begin to use you in the way that you desire to be used. If that's you, I want you to just lift up your hands right now in this place. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I pray, Lord God, for your spirit right now to flood this altar area of sincere and hungry people, Lord Jesus, who want to be everything that they can be in you, to walk in fullness of life, and to be set free from everything that's hindering them, to lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily beset them, that they may run with patience the race that is set before them. In the name of Jesus, I pray for them right now in the name of the Lord. Now I want you to reach over and pray with somebody right now. We're going to pray for one another. That healing and being set free and deliverance would take place in this place today. Hallelujah. That's it. Pray for your neighbor. Pray for your friend. Pray for that stranger that, that you don't even know. But you believe that God can work on their behalf. God, I pray that you'd give them power to live in victory above sin, to overcome. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. 
want you to pray with me for Jeffrey Jordan right here. He's here believing God for a total miracle. The cancer has already started to go into remission. Even though it seemed hopeless just a few months ago, God's working on his behalf. I want you to pray with him right now. Let's pray in the name of Jesus. Continue to pray for those around you right now. But let's believe for a miracle in Jesus' name. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain.
Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. I want you just to shake your head right now like this. Here's what I want you to say. It's not who I am. I may have been struggling with it, but it's not who I am. I may have been fighting that battle, but it's not who I am. It may have been plaguing me for years, but it's not who I am. Come on, somebody. It's not who I am. Put your foot down and speak that word of hope. It's not who I am. I'm a child of God. I've been redeemed for a purpose. He's going to use me. It's not who I am. those that are praying, I want you to continue praying. God's doing a work. He's not finished with you. Amen. He is not finished with you. He's not going to leave you the way He found you. Praise God. I want to encourage you to be a part of our life groups. Go to one that works for you, even if it's not your age group. Or... Because we're going to put this in practice today. Amen. We're going to do practicum or the lab work with what was preached today during these 40 days of freedom and fellowship. God bless you. Continue praying. If you want a fellowship, step out into the halls. But God's moving in this place and there's a work of the Spirit transpiring. Holy Ghost, continue to move. He shut down.